Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions, and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrooks.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from Talk Sport. Hello, football folks. The Game Day Premier League post-match podcast from TalkSport returns with me, Sam Adderface, TalkSport transfer guru Alex Crook, and a pod debut for former Newcastle Palace and Ipswich star Darren Ambrose. Arsenal pick party, but it's Vardy who's celebrating as late goal doesn't make Arteta feel any better. Coming up, Dean's not mean. Ancelotti on the red, as he says Lucas sending off is a joke as Everton lose their unbeaten record. No laughing matter at Villa as Bamford performs a trick, but there's not much entertainment at Old Trafford as the Theatre of Dreams forgets the art of putting on a performance. Liverpool get a scare, but Sheffield United and Fulham lose again and Palace have more shots on goal in one game than they've had in the rest of the season combined. And they smash their possession average too. They had a whopping 35%. All that plus Newcastle Wolves on the podcast that wrestles like Harry Maguire, but is about as alert as Stuart Atwell. The Game Day Premier League post-match podcast from TalkSport. This is Game Day. Hello, Darren Ambrose. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. I'm actually delighted to be here. I'm honoured to be here with um, in the podcast with you, Sam, and you, Alex. Well, uh, we we are. We feel absolutely privileged that you are here. Uh, Crook is with you as well, Alex Crook. You've just been doing a show together, and now we're going to look back at all the Premier League games. And um, what an interesting weekend it's been. And uh, Crook, I wonder whether or not we've started to see the sort of I don't know petering out of the goal glut that we had in the early part of the season. I think so and I think uh, it was the weekend when actually the coaches took centre stage and you know maybe not as many thrills and spills as we've had across the course of the season so far but credit to Ralph Hasenhutl for the way that he stifled Dominic Calvert-Lewin and James Rodriguez great win for Southampton uh, credit for Brendan Rodgers for that uh, maybe surprise result at the Emirates given Leicester's wretched run away from home against Arsenal, but certainly in the second half, it was a tactical masterclass from him as well. And I suppose you also have to give Frank Lampard and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer some credit. It was a terrible game for the neutral, but I think both will be pleased with the way that their respective sides defended in that dour draw at Old Trafford. If only they'd pick that one for pay-per-view. Um, uh, Darren Ambrose, uh, he, he mentioned uh, King Ralph, uh, ruler of all of Hampshire, uh, Southampton uh, Prince, the the wonder that is Mr. Harson Hootle. Uh, I'm sure we'll get that in more detail. Uh, but do you think it's, it's it's that it's coaching, it's it's getting their their teams on point, or do you think that actually they're finding their fitness for the first time over the course of this early part of the season? Um, I think it could be a bit, a bit of both. Um, they are what six games in now and they are all finding their feet and they've been there where they've conceded a lot they've scored a lot 
and the coaches are settling them down. Like we said, Oli and Oli Gunnar Solskjaer and Frank Lampard get a nil-nil draw. That's actually, for me, a quite a positive result for both of them to keep a clean sheet. Wasn't a good one for the neutral, but I think as as a neutral, I think you, we love seeing all the, all the goals going in and it was just oh, fantastic. Yeah. But it is kind of getting back to some normality and probably was needed in the Premier League, I think, that, that a few nil-nils, Southampton 2-0, some normal results as opposed to 7-2s, 6-1s. So I'm quite pleased with the way the weekend went, to be honest. Manchester City bring it forward again now. Wide on the far side there left, and there's a burst of pace from Jao Cancelo into the penalty area. He finds Foden, who turns and scores, and it's a brilliant equaliser from Manchester City. He finished Fulham 1, Crystal Palace 2. Roy Hodgson gets a win on his return to his old club to heap more misery on Scott Parker and bottom of the table, Fulham. And that's the last action of the game, and Manchester United and Chelsea share the points. A goalless draw at Old Trafford, which means that Manchester United start with their worst run of home results in 31 years it's finished goalless Manchester United nil Chelsea nil Mane crosses and Jota heads it in and Liverpool are into the lead this time and it's Diogo Jota with a flying header at the far post his second Liverpool goal in front of the cop and it is now Liverpool 2 Sheffield United 1 Let's start with Super Sunday and the match that no one saw. Arsenal versus Leicester and Arsenal clearly didn't see Jamie Vardy, did they? Uh, Leicester's first win at Arsenal since 1973 and actually, let's be clear about it, it could have been 2-0, couldn't it? Because you know, it was a bit of a tactical masterclass from Brendan Rodgers. You can criticise Leicester for not being great in the first half and being a bit toothless. They're very deep, whatever. Arsenal looked in control of the game. However... They came out in the second half. They're a little bit different. He made the changes. All of a sudden, Jamie Vardy pops up with a goal and actually probably should have made it too. Yeah, and I think a few Leicester fans were, were a bit critical of the team selection. Harvey Barnes in the false nine, but Brendan Rodgers knows his players. He knows how fit Jamie Vardy is at this particular moment and clearly didn't feel he was ready to start. But what an impact from the bench. 11 goals in, in 12 games, I think, for him now against Arsenal. It was written in the stars from the moment he came on. And they seem to have unearthed a bit of a gem as well in, in Wesley Fofana, who I thought had a really good game um, at the back, you know, keeping out a pretty potent Arsenal attack. But there's problems for Mikhail Arteta, isn't there? I think Aubameyang, again, looked a bit lost, missed a couple of big chances. Lacazette's body language for me is all wrong. And what they really needed in that second half was uh, a creative spark, someone who can provide an assist or two, maybe even a, a World Cup winner. If only they had one of those on their books. <laughs> uh, I think you're being facetious, aren't you? Because Mesut Ertzel has been left out of the Premier League squad. You did say uh, they kept out a potent Arsenal attack. I mean, let's be clear, they've scored the same number of goals, Arsenal, as Newcastle this season. Just the eight. They've scored the same goals, the same number of goals as Crystal Palace, uh, which is remarkable. Um, why are Arsenal, Darren Ambrose, not scoring goals? Uh, the form of Aubameyang is a big, big factor in that. Since he signed his new contract, he seems to have just taken his foot off, off the gas. And I don't know why. I don't know, I can't put my finger on it. Arsenal were very poor today, in my opinion, and Leicester deserved the victory. Um, and we see it. We were sat downstairs and you just see Jamie Vardy coming on and that game was crying out for someone like that to come on and unlock the defence and just put a bit of fear and terror with his pace. And he loves playing against Arsenal, as Alex said, 11 goals against them now. And 
I don't know what Bert Leno was doing for the goal. And I think he was out of position quite often in the game. Mm. I think there's a few 50, 40, 50 yard shots. James Madison kept spotting him off his line and trying to tip it over the top of his head. Yeah. And that, that was obviously things to come. And where he was on Vardy's goal, and it was an easy header in the end. But like we said, when, when he was coming on, it, it, there was always going to be one match winner. And there was a great opportunity as well earlier on in the game, actually, which would have been a perfect Vardy opportunity when the ball was played to Dennis Pratt and he tried to shape the ball into that channel where Vardy would usually run it. Vardy wasn't there and he didn't actually perfectly execute the ball. But as you say, it was so obvious that that kind of route was going to be the route to success. And then Brendan Rodgers spotting that brings on Jamie Vardy, who obviously might not have been 100% fit after midweek exploits, etc., etc. However... He's come on, he's scored the goal, could have scored a second. I mean, it's it's impressive, but it is a worry for, for Mikel Arteta because he himself tried to change things. He had to deal with an injury to David Luiz and bring on Squadron Mustafi. Where does Mikel Arteta go from here, bearing in mind it's the first time they've been defeated at home in 2020, Crook? Well, you say that, and, and obviously you're absolutely right, but after 26 Premier League games in charge... Arteta is actually eight points behind where Unai Emery was at the same stage of his Arsenal tenure. Oh it does beg the question when, you know, you listen to Arsenal fans speaking and maybe us in the media, we, we've all given Mikel Arteta a fair amount of credit. Have we been hoopwinked a little bit? He has also won an FA Cup. Yeah, I'll give you that. But oh, Well, thanks. <laughs> I mean, I didn't just pull it out of the backpack. It, it really happened. <laughs> But the league form is a concern, isn't it? Especially in this season when, you know, a lot of the the clubs that you would probably put ahead of Arsenal in the food chain are dropping points, but they haven't really been able to capitalise, have they? Yeah, that uh, bottom sort of half of the table has got a real familiar look about it, hasn't it? Ninth, Chelsea, 10th, Arsenal, 11th, Tottenham, uh, 13th, Manchester City, 15th, Manchester United. Uh, right, let's turn our attention to Southampton against Everton. Uh, kicked off earlier in the day. And Everton's defeat actually means that this is the first English top flight campaign since 1967-68 in which no sides are unbeaten through the first six matches. It came to an end as they were beaten uh, by Southampton by two goals to nil. They ended the game with ten men. And I suppose there's quite a few things to deal with here. The anniversary of the 9-0 thrashing by Leicester for Southampton. Uh, the defeat for Everton, which obviously means they've suffered their first and their level on points at the top of the table with Liverpool. The lack of energy from uh, Carlo Ancelotti's team. The tactical deployment of Oriol Romeo and the sending off of Luca Dean. This is what his manager said about that. It was not a bad challenge, I saw. It was, uh, as I said, not intentional because he was running behind. Uh, he had the contact with uh, the ankle uh, of the opponent, but he didn't have the intention to hurt the player. He didn't have the intention to, the intention to, to use violent conduct. So it was not the right decision. For me, Darren Ambrose, it was a clear red card. And I don't understand why Carlo Ancelotti is suggesting for a moment that he's going to appeal against that decision because he's not going to get that overturned. Yeah, 100% agree with you. Um, a clear red card. I mean, he's he's running, he's, he's held his hands up a few paces before, but just because you put your hands in the air doesn't give you the right to just rake your studs down the back of someone's Achilles. So, And uh, there was one in the Fulham Palace game where Cam- Camera had done the same thing. Yeah. It was given as a yellow, then overturned as a red. So, And the one... Um, in the Southampton game was worse. 
So that was a clear red card. And if they appeal, well, there's no point in them appealing because they won't get anywhere with that. Yeah, it's a waste of a 10p for the phone call, isn't it? As we used to say in 1985. Yeah. Um, Everton have conceded twice in four of their past five Premier League games. So I suppose this defeat was kind of coming, wasn't it, Crook? Yeah, I feared for them when I saw the team sheet. Obviously, we, we knew that Richarlison and, and Seamus Coleman would be unavailable. Godfrey was asked to play out of position at, at right back. He, he did okay, but didn't have the same attacking threat that, that Coleman would have provided. And you, you're not going to finish in the top four if that's their aspiration with Alex Iwobi and, and Gilfie Sigurdsson. He got done for the cross, though, the didn't he? For the Danny Ings cross to the back post. Yeah, but as I say, he was, he was being asked to play out of position. I think what that illustrates is that despite all the hundreds of millions they've invested, that there's still a bit of a lack of depth in, in this Everton squad. And when they've got their first 11 fit and firing and available, that, that they're going to be a force to be reckoned with. But if you go beneath that, probably the players that come in aren't really up to standard. But I think you have to give a lot of credit to, to King Ralph, and I, I'm never uh, never shy to do so. You mentioned there it was a year to the day since they lost 9-0 to Leicester. I think a statement victory against the league leaders is the perfect illustration of how far they've come. And again, I mentioned about good coaching at the top of the programme. It's pretty much the same players, bar uh, one or two additions just to make the squad a bit deeper. But he's managed to turn that situation around. And um, Yannick Vestergaard has played the last three or four matches. And he was a player who's been maligned, really, by Southampton fans. But he played a big part in the victory uh, up against Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Him and Bednarek were excellent. And, and you highlighted Oriol Romeo. Basically, his job was to man Mark James Rodriguez out the game, and he, he did that very well. So I think he deserves a lot of credit. They're up into the top six, and you look at how they've improved after a difficult start to the season. I think they're in for a good campaign. Yeah, um, he, he's turned from I wrecked it, Ralph, into look what I've built now, Ralph. Um, mm-hmm. And he has built a Harsen Hootel. And that's actually German for rabbit hutch, isn't it? Um, why do you love him so much? I think he has an awe about him. No, come on, uh, no, just t- talk about personality. Don't, 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 don't give us all your, your media speak. Why do you like it? What is it you like about him? Well, you must have, you've spent some time about with him. The, um, can we talk about a statement that he said downstairs that he would take Ralph Harton who at Manchester United tomorrow? I think he's a great coach. Um, I think he proved that with what he achieved in Germany. He inherited a, a mess of a team when he replaced Mark Hughes, who in turn had replaced um, the... Argentine, whose name everybody forgets, uh, Mr. Pellegrino, who inher- had inherited a mess from Claude Puel. So basically, Whispering he had Claude. the dregs. He had the dregs of three failed managers. He hasn't really been given any money to spend because the Chinese owners are not willing to invest their own cash. So he's had to get back to basics. Had to get to the training ground. He's had to improve players. He's done that. I mentioned Yannick Vestergaard. He was a car crash under Mark Hughes in the last three or four matches. He's looked a decent Premier League defender. I think that in itself. Uh, is an achievement. He's got the best out of Danny Ings, even today, dropping deep into midfield. He's kept faith with Shea Adams. Again, he's coached him to be a better player. He couldn't hit a, um, you know, couldn't hit a barn door in his first year in the Premier League. Yeah, 24 scored- Premier League games without a, a goal, and now he's scored six in his past 12. You're Okay, so you obviously like his, his coaching style and what he's done in terms of the development of players, and you've highlighted his achievements there. Um, what about him making that step up. Darren, you, you you pointed out that Crook's gone on air today and he said he should be the Manchester United manager and he should, you know, take I said over. I'd take from... I said I'd take him. All right. 
Okay, you said you'd take him because uh, when you well, when you get yourself on the hiring committee, you'll have that opportunity to do it. I'm sure you're talking your way in there with all the times you've slagged them off over the course of the last six weeks. Um, but let's discuss that. I mean, is there any possibility that anyone would, would come and poach him? There is a possibility they would, no, yeah. Not, like, not Manchester United. I mean, he's not going to be the next Manchester no, United manager, I, is he? I don't agree with that. I think, I think there's a different pressure when you're managing these big top clubs. Um, Pochettino he did can, okay. He can deal with it. I'm wait, sure wait, which which top, it. top club did Pochettino manage? Obviously, Spurs was a significant step up from oh, Southampton and he took him top into a Champions League Spurs. final. Yeah, but they hadn't won anything since, and still haven't won anything since 2009. It's not like they're regularly going for the title or winning Champions League or have ever not, won Champions League. Not United though. anymore, by the way. Well, exactly. But also, you must have the ambition to get there to do that, right? I, th- I don't think he'll. he'll he can, I, th- I personally don't think he can. I think Southampton's a good fit for him. I think he's he's clearly a good coach. We, we discussed Ings and 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 Shea Adams that he's improved. He's good. At, he's, he's tactically good, but I do think at the moment he's not ready for that step up. I think if he lost, uh, it's a fantastic comeback. He 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 lost nine nil a year ago, and what he's done since. But if he done that at a big club, he he wouldn't last a week. <laughs> he's so, not getting the chance to rebuild if he loses nine nil at Manchester United. Absolutely not. So I don't think he's ready for the step up. I think he could be. You can see he is tactically aware and, and he's, he's a big personality. But at the moment, I just think Southampton's a good fit for him. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think that uh, if he can spend the season there dragging them into the top eight or something like that, I think that would be a fantastic achievement uh, from him. He did OK at RB Leipzig, but there was a different time when RB Leipzig were making their, their way in the world. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how well he does. And I think if you... Th- Factor in that Carlo Ancelotti couldn't get a job in the top four, five, six of of English football and has gone to Everton in order to try and and make a statement. The calibre of managers that Manchester United should be and could be looking at if they do decide to make a change or if and when they do decide to make a change, I think it will be be a little bit higher in terms of experience and achievement than Ralph Hasenhu. That's just my view. I'm not necessarily saying it it, it definitely won't happen. Uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers drew 1-1 with Newcastle United, an absolute thriller of a game uh, for a Sunday afternoon. Um, uh, Jacob Murphy's late free kick, Rui Patricio. Talk to me about covering the near post, Darren Ambrose. Yeah, he'll be very, very disappointed with that. I think he got his wall set up all wrong. Um, It's a shame for him that the camera angle was perfectly behind and you could just see there was... He didn't even have to bend it, Jacob Murphy. He literally had to pass it into the bottom corner. So not only did he not cover that side, he then stood too far over the other side of the goal. So... It was an easy, easy finish, and he'll be really disappointed with that. And it, you know, with, with Leno that we spoke about, goalkeepers are, are, are tending to make a lot of mistakes and being out of position. So that obviously needs to be sorted. Good free kick, but a, an easy finish. I think any free kick taker would look at that and go, "I could have just passed that in like he did." And the wall didn't do him any favours. It was knee height. You know, you can control that at ten yards if you stand there, but he kind of moved out the way. So it. They'll all they'll all be very disappointed by that Wolves. And that was a, a significant moment because it was right at the end of the game, and Raúl Jiménez had put them in front with what was a fantastic, fantastic goal. Uh, Ten minutes from time, edge of the penalty area, on the half volley, smack into the top bins, uh, and he's shown once again why. Lots of people were talking about him, Crook, because, I mean, he's been directly involved now in 27 Premier League goals since the start of last season. Twice as many than any other Wolves player. 
Well, that's the problem, isn't it? And uh, he cut quite a frustrated figure when he went off at the end of the game. He, he slapped the tunnel in frustration as he made his way back to the dressing room because they are too reliant on Raul Jimenez. They're, they're not getting goals from other areas in the team. And maybe one of the reasons for that is they let two of their more regular contributors in terms of goals and assists go over the course of the summer in, in Jota, who went to Liverpool, of course, and, and Doherty as well, who, who was a key part of the way that they've played in their first couple of seasons back in the Premier League. I think it is a transitional period they're going through. Yeah. I think Nuno Espirito Santo is is trying to rebuild the side, probably still doesn't know what his best eleven is. Um, but clearly that they can't rely on a worldie from from Jimenez every week. They're pretty solid defensively. But it was a classic Newcastle performance really, very similar to what we saw at, at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. I think like in that game the equalising goal was their only shot on target. They're not great to watch Steve Bruce's side, but he's getting the job done. Yeah, and I think that um, as far as Wolverhampton Wanderers are concerned, I think if he does manage to make that team click, which I think he probably will do over the course of the season because he works very hard on the training ground, Nuno Espirito Santo, a bit like Ralph Harson hootel in that he's very dedicated to his methodical preparation. He that they will be a force because they don't concede many goals, which is a major, major plus. I think they're one of the teams that don't, you know, that, that went through that silly season at the beginning of the campaign without actually getting involved in uh, dropping lots of points and lots of uh, balls hitting the back of the net. And uh, Newcastle lined up in pretty ambitious shape. They're your former club, Darren Ambrose, mm-hmm. but actually, again, very, very tame. And and Wilson looks like the only threat. Uh, obviously there's been a lot of discussion about Steve Bruce and, and, and the, the fans having or not having him what do, what do you think as a former Newcastle player and, and what you experienced when you were on Tyneside watching that sort of being served up yeah they will not like that the fans will not like that type of football um, they'll be very very disappointed with a goal let's talk about the defending on the goal oh, it was an outstanding finish Um from Jimenez, but the defending was awful. You've got the the number nine, the best goal scorer, who dropped to the edge of box unmarked and controlled it unmarked and volleyed it in into the corner. You know that is very poor defending. I think Steve Bruce will be very disappointed with with the way they handled that. But they they won't like it. Newcastle is renowned for attacking football. They like it, and to have hardly any shots on goal, and you know your only goal is is the free kick and. Even that was basically given to them by Wolves because it was a, it was an easy one for, for Jacob Murphy to put into the bottom corner. Um, might be doing him a bit of a disrespect there because he still had to do that, but they're not going to like it. And there's a lot of animosity around the owner, um, and rightly so. And I do feel for Steve Bruce a bit because he gets a bit of the flack as well. It's, it's, it's more against him than for him. Um, but when you serving up games like that I think is, is justified Crook um, if you had the uh, choice would you choose a season ticket at Crystal Palace or a season ticket at Newcastle <laughs> <laughs> I'd probably just about go for Newcastle because I like watching Callum Wilson uh, I think he's a very clever striker and Ryan Fraser as well can provide a bit of dynamism and Sam Maximam so yeah. you know they have the attacking threats Steve Bruce for whatever reason just doesn't choose to use them to the best of their capabilities but yeah I think I'd rather watch Newcastle than Palace I, I, I thought when I looked at their lineup, I thought oh he's he's, he's he's looked at the Wolves team and, and Saiz has been playing as left wing back right and I thought he's, he's decided 
he's going to go for it down the right-hand side and try and create down that corridor because he thinks that Saiz might leave a bit of space in behind or he's a bit more get-attable than the regular left-sided players that they've, they've played. Like Vanagre, obviously Johnny's injured, etc., etc. Um, but it wasn't very exciting at all, was it? I mean, despite the fact they got Murphy, Sam Maximan, Callum Wilson, Fraser, Lewis likes to get forward, Almiron... All in the team at the same time. It seems it seems very strange that you've got that many creative players yet you can't create very much. And I think that will be high on the list of of, of Geordie fans' uh, disappointments. Wolves are at home again, by the way, in their next outing. They take on Crystal Palace. That'll be another thriller. Eight o'clock on Friday night, which you can pay for. Fantastic. Uh, while Newcastle are back at St James's Park, they play Leeds Everton at two o'clock on Sunday afternoon. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18+, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Mope to step towards the ball, right-footed. He clips the ball, a little Penenka over the top of David De Gea, stranded to his left to put Brighton in front. Brighton won, Chelsea won. It's an equaliser for the home side, one that you have to say has been coming. They've been completely dominant. It would have been absolutely scandalous. You'd have to call the police. It'd have been a robbery if they'd have taken all three points. Well, they won't be now. It's Palace one, Brighton one. Well, positive but we're also disappointed because we haven't got the points uh, that we'd like nothing will change after our first win hopefully it's going to come very soon but that win is important because it changes it changes the mood it gives you the confidence for every team it's Robertson again going through on goal and he drives it low beyond Caballero it matters it's a little bigger picture you know not only three points Right, Monday evening sees Brighton take on West Brom at 5.30 and the Brighton boss Graham Potter has stressed that they do need to improve in front of goal after last week's game against Crystal Palace when they were absolutely terrific, by the way, up until the final third. Darren, how do they solve that? It's a difficult one. Um, I've actually tipped Brighton to go down this season. That's because you play for Palace. 
Potentially, that's one of the reasons. But <laughs> Such, it, it, you, you know what, right? I, I don't, we've only worked together on the odd occasion. We only see each other every now and again. But you are the most biased pundit I think I've ever worked with. The <laughs> <laughs> thing is, I'm for my teams. Like Everyone else seems to be against their teams. I actually <laughs> like my teams. I like Tottenham. I like Crystal Palace. And I don't like the others. I don't like Brighton. You know what? Well, Brighton are a good team. Um they showed that against Palace, but how how do you how do you score more goals? I mean, it's it's going to be very difficult for him. And the more they lose and the more they don't pick up results, the confidence is gonna is gonna go. And you know they are going to start with four points in five games. They're going to start dropping down the league. And- I, I I would never want to criticise such a professional, but seeing as you've already topped uh, tipped Everton. Uh, Tottenham, Liverpool, Manchester City to finish in the top four from what I heard on your programme earlier on. And Sheffield United and Fulham uh, are going to struggle to to stay in the division. Um, Burnley, West Brom, uh, obviously between them, not even got the same number of points as Brighton. And Brighton are playing particularly well. I don't see how Brighton are going to end up being in a relegation scrap. No, if, look, if I'm being honest, I'll take my Palace hat off now. I don't think they will. I think they'll they'll be absolutely fine. They've got some good players. Um, Mo Pye will score them, score them goals. Yeah. He's a fantastic player. The manager is good. He's tactically very good. We've 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 spoke of Arsenal and and Nuno Spirit Santa. He's similar kind of guy. He's tactically aware, and they'll be absolutely fine. But they do need to start picking up picking up results because if they don't, you are constantly looking over your shoulder. I know there's six games gone now. But if you're not picking up any results in the next four, you're ten games in. That's when it starts to, to to creep up on you. And you know, but they are there are definitely three teams at least worse than them in this division. Yeah, 100%. and one of them might be West Bromwich Albion, who they play on Monday night. Um, just a quick word on Brighton's Ben White, because as Talksport's transfer guru. You all know, Alex Crook, that he's been the subject of quite a lot of speculation, especially since Liverpool had an injury to Virgil van Dijk. Well, they're definitely admirers. Um, no question about that. They, they didn't firm up their interest over the summer. Um, it was always put to me that, that Brighton had no intentions of, of selling him to a, a rival club at, you know, of, of similar stature, someone like Leeds, for example, who they see as direct competition but that if one of the big clubs did come in and were willing to pay the money, and I think it would take big money now because he signed a new long-term contract, then they wouldn't stand in his way. So I think that's one to watch with interest. I know Lloyd Kelly down at Bournemouth is another player that Liverpool are very keen on as well. So perhaps he might be a slightly cheaper option. But I like Ben White. Um, They played him in midfield, didn't they, I think, against um, Mm. Crystal Palace. Didn't really work. He'll be back in the centre of defence this time round because, of course, Lewis Dunk is suspended. But I think this is a big game for Brighton because they've had quite a difficult start of the season. They played Chelsea um, on the opening weekend. Of course, it was Timo Werner's first game amongst others. They've played Palace in a derby. They've been to Everton when they were in red-hot form. They've played Manchester United and, and played them off the park and still managed to lose the game. This is a fixture that Graham Potter will be targeting uh, for maximum points. And it's a fixture I expect them to win. Um, I haven't seen much from West Bromwich Albion barring that opening half an hour against Chelsea in that three-all draw to suggest that they're in the Premier League to do anything more than make up the numbers. They pay big money uh, for Carlin Grant. Remains to be seen if, if he can make the step up from the Championship and score goals on a regular basis in the top flight. I think they may have as well the worst defence in the league by the time we get to the end of the season. I know that Fulham and uh, 
Liverpool have conceded more goals than them so far, but they've both played a game more uh, than West Bromwich Albion. And by the time we get to the end of Monday night, I think that they will uh, will probably have conceded more than both of them. Uh, 13 goals in five games. That's a huge number of, of goals to have conceded. And they are yet to win a game as well, just to two draws and one of those when they were 3-0 up against Chelsea. So they, it's a big game for them as well, isn't it? Yeah, because they're ultimately, if they want to stay in the division, these are the t- types of matches, Darren, uh, that, they have to, that they have to take maximum points from. Yeah, agreed. I, I, I do agree with Alex. I think they're going to struggle. I think they're. I think Brighton will comfortably beat them tomorrow. Um, they can't seem. How to would score. that affect you? Would that ruin your day? No, absolutely not. Sure. Look, okay. <laughs> I think um, West Brom are, are one of them three teams at least that are worse than Brighton, and I think it will be a comfortable result for them tomorrow. Um, I do think, along with Fulham they're going to really struggle this season. It's going to be a long old season for them. Uh, Burnley against Tottenham is the the big game on Monday night. Uh, Darren Ambrose very keen on Tottenham. Uh, Here he is on the Sunday session defending his Jose loving. Honestly, listening to Harry Redknapp as well, I agree. I think Tottenham can win the Premier League this year. This year. This year. This year. It's come flying in. Oh, my word. What an absolute screamer. And it's gone straight into the top corner. Manuel Lanzini has leveled things up here for West Ham. You cannot believe what you're seeing. Now, this this Honestly, might be the shortest title bit in history. Oh, Lasted 10 minutes. I mean... Well, we've done this once, so we won't go into it in too much detail. But, but you know, let's just, just leave it there because hopefully, Darren's this is not going to be your only appearance on the uh, podcast. And, and when Tottenham are in 11th position with four games to go, we'll, we'll, we'll revisit it. Um, no, listen, they've got as good a chance as anyone to, uh, to, to cause problems this year, bearing in mind that it is looking as if it, it could be a, a random year in the Premier League. But I wonder whether or not we, we always sort of say that. And then actually, when you look at the top fours from the last 10 years, Alex Crook, it's always the same teams. Yeah, I made this point to, to Darren this afternoon. I think come the end of the season, the usual suspects will be there or thereabouts. It will be Manchester City and Liverpool and, and, and two others you wouldn't bet against it being Tottenham and Manchester United equally. It could be Tottenham and Chelsea, but I, I don't see Everton or, or Leicester or, or Southampton who are up in the top six being able to sustain it. But I, I need a Tottenham winning this game because probably like everybody up and down the country, my fantasy football yeah. team has been an absolute disaster <laughs> yeah. um, so far this weekend. I've got Son, I've got Harry Kane. You would think going into the weekend this would be one of the bankers the way that Spurs have started the season and I worry a bit for Burnley um, because it's been a difficult opening to the campaign for them they haven't really allowed Sean Dyche to go out and, and strengthen the squad so the very attritional way that they play they, they'll probably grind out enough points not to go down but I think this could be one of those seasons more than any other where they are looking nervously over their shoulders well this is the anniversary of his appointment as the Burnley manager it's his eighth year in charge uh, he says that, that the poor starts the campaign has given him no cause to stray from the blueprint that has served him so well in, in those eight years he's the longest serving manager uh, in the Premier League currently um, but you know th- they haven't had the best of starts have they I mean they lost at Leicester 4-2 in the opening match of the season they lost 1-0 at home to Southampton and remarkably they lost 3-1 at Newcastle <laughs> takes of doing that doesn't mm-hmm. it 
for me, I, I said we predicted teams and uh, managers to go be the first to go, and I predicted Sean Dyche would be the first manager sacked Did this you? season. That's not that. I've yeah. never, I haven't heard that. I haven't heard anybody no, say that. The reason being, it's nothing really to do with with Sean Dyche. I think he's a fantastic manager. It was more that I, I from an outside outset, you you can see the relationship is kind of broken down for some reason. Yeah, it's fracturing, um, isn't it? Yeah, and I think they're looking for any excuse. But I think if they do sack him early, you know, Burnley are going to have a lot of um, angry supporters, angry media, because he's do he's done a fantastic job there. But I think if if he doesn't pick up a few results in the next few games, the pressure is going to be mounting on him solely because of that relationship. And that's not to say that would be a terrible thing for Sean Dyche, because I think he'll have many people, many suitors that want to want to get him on board as their manager. So it, it could be a plus for them. But like you said, the start they've had is is not been the greatest. I think they spent no money, if I'm right. So they didn't sign anyone. And they're they're just trying to get along until January and potentially they could sign someone there. So it, it, it's a long season for them and they, they could be struggling. I agree with you. We're in sacking season now, aren't we? Normally going into this uh, November international break is, is a time when possibly chairmen get a bit itchy if uh, they haven't made a great start of the season. I actually think Scott Parker, my old friend, might be the uh, the first manager to be sacked. You look at the start that Fulham have made with a relatively kind fixture list and he has been backed in the transfer market. They already look doomed, don't they? And they've shown in the past the owners there, they can be ruthless. I think they had three managers in their last season in the Premier League. I like Scott Parker as a person. I know Darren does as well, but yeah, I'd be a little bit worried for him at this stage. Sorry, what, why is he your old friend? Because I, I said, do you, do you not remember on this podcast that if they didn't go up in that championship playoff final, then he may well pay for pay the price of his job then. Sorry, and, yes. You, you've made you so many bold predictions on this podcast <laughs> that they just all merge into one. Uh, yes, indeed. You disagree true. with me on this one? Uh, what about him being the, the first manager to be sacked? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I do. And i tell you why I do. Because I don't think anyone will get sacked. I don't think any club will sack their manager before the new year. And the reason I believe that to be the case is because I don't think that the clubs have got the money to do it. I think this is a very odd situation. And if you've looked at the Championship and Leagues 1 and 2, you'll notice there's very, very few managers being fired. And usually at this stage of the season, you would have had more than one or two. We've had none so far. Okay, so it's, you know, we've only played six games. But, and usually would have probably played, what, eight or nine at this stage of, of the calendar. But I, I think for two reasons. One, we had a later start. And the other reason is the financial concerns. I don't think people will, will pull the trigger, trigger as early over the course of the campaign. I think there'll be less sackings this, this season. But... I think we'll wait and see. Uh, there's no pressure on Jose Mourinho, though, because at the moment, everything seems to be fine, although he did have quite a grumpy day in front of the cameras uh, previewing this match, despite the fact that Tottenham are on a nine-match unbeaten running all competitions. have scored 19 goals in the past four matches. Uh, quick prediction for Burnley Tottenham. I think Spurs are win, and actually, they might be one of the clubs who have benefited from the fact that they've had these Europa League games, because you've mentioned about... Uh, various teams being short of match fitness. Obviously, those Europa League games, which effectively have been pre-season friendlies with a competitive edge, have allowed them to play their way to full match fitness. Darren? (laughs) I don't don't really want to predict Tottenham because the last prediction I made of Tottenham went drastically wrong. Um, But I am going to predict, and I think it will be a comfortable win for them. I think there'll be goals, hopefully... um, 
hopefully Bale gets on the goal goal scoring sheet and you know everyone wants to see the, the Bale of old so hopefully he comes on I, I, I think it'll be a 3-1 victory for Tottenham OK let's look back at the action from Old Trafford where the VAR went missing because apparently Saturday night's alright for fighting Pulisic has just dropped Fred, now he's running at the United defence and he gets to the edge of the area. A right footy shot towards the far corner, it's narrowly wide from Christian Pulisic. Well that pressing certainly helped there, United's defence backing off, his shot just took a little cannon off a defender and goes out and away for a corner. Now Rashford could be in and he's running away from Afpilicueta into the area, right footy shot, big save from... Edouard Mendy who sticks out his right boot and kicks the ball behind and away for a corner. It's a decent save by the goalie. Here's the left-footed ball by Chilwell into the penalty area. There's a push by Maguire there and uh, Cesar Pilicueta is saying that he was hauled to the ground by Maguire and wants the referee to take a look at it. I don't think there's too much of a VAR check here. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's literally got his hand round his <laughs> neck. For me, going by the letter of the law, that should be a penalty. By the letter Chelsea. of the law? He's put his arm round his neck <laughs> and his other arm round his midriff how on earth has the VAR not looked at that now Fred will drive it through it takes a couple of deflections Chelsea eventually get it half clear Rashford shoots towards the far corner and it's a finger sit diving save from Edouard Mendy which Kepa wouldn't have made to keep Chelsea in the game it's finished goalless Manchester United nil Chelsea nil Manchester United nil, Chelsea nil, not the thriller that we were expecting or hoping for. And you can understand why Frank Lampard spent most of the post-match interview uh, talking about clean sheets, being positive about that, but also focusing on the foul one, Cesar Afbilicueta, in the goalless draw at Old Trafford because it was quite clearly a foul. By now, I think everybody's seen it, discussed it, and moaned about the fact that VAR um, didn't work. But ultimately, that scenario Darren could have changed the game Manchester United better team let's be honest about it maybe with the crowd behind the goal they would have ended up scoring that uh, winning goal right at the end when they were putting pressure on Chelsea Cavani had chances Rashford had chances but you know Chelsea go 1-0 up it's a different game 100% agree with you Um, it wasn't a great spectacle Um, Man United were the better side how it wasn't given a penalty not even going to VAR how the referee didn't see it and give a penalty is beyond me and I really don't understand why that didn't go to VAR or when it did go there they didn't give it they spent very little time looking at it and it it belonged in the Habib fight at the night time in the the penalty box but yeah Man U were the better team they will I, I think I think the Premier League needed this and Chelsea and Man United did need a clean sheet and a nil nil and like I said it wasn't a great game but now they've got their clean sheet. They can go forward and particularly Chelsea, Thiago Silva, Mendy, you know, they played very, very well. And we all know they can score goals, but now they're, they're, he's proved that they can keep clean sheets. Mendy kept two clean sheets in a row now. If he gets his balance right, Chelsea will be a force to reckon with, 100%. Uh, earlier on, uh, I said that um, you were the most biased pundit that I've worked with. Uh, which uh, well, obviously a bit tongue in cheek, but uh, just to make sure that um, I, I, I didn't say contributor, because that of course is Alex Crook, who will now take you through his Manchester United review. Um, I think it's been a good week for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer on the whole. Obviously, coming from behind to beat Newcastle, I thought they were terrific in the Champions League against Paris Saint Germain. It was a far better performance actually uh, than the last time they were in the French capital and that win that got Ole Gunnar Solskjaer the full time contract. And they backed it up with a, a pretty dour display uh, against Chelsea. But I think Darren's right. I think both managers were probably more 
concerned with not losing the game than they were with actually trying to win it. You knew that when Solskjaer named McTominay and, and Fred in the, those midfield roles and left the likes of Van der Beek again on the bench and, and Pogba as well. I think United are at a tipping point because they're 15th in the table, which clearly isn't great. It's the first time since the 1970s they failed to win any of their first three home matches of a season. Yeah. And they've got Arsenal and Everton on the horizon now. I think I think we'll be in a better position uh, to judge where this season is going once they've played Arsenal. Arsenal themselves not in great form. And I would like to think we're going to see a more attack-minded lineup from Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in that one. Uh, actually... Manchester United are without a home league win in five games. They've never done that before in the Premier League era. The last time that that happened was when they went six games without a win at Old Trafford in February 1990. And that was the time when that banner went up. I remember it. Ta-ra, Fergie. Four years of excuses or three years of excuses or whatever it was. Uh, and it required Mark Robbins to come up with that magic moment and, and United to go on and win the FA Cup final in order for him to keep his job. So I just wonder whether or not you think that Solskjaer similarly needs something special to happen for him this season in order for him to keep his job. Well, the issue is that he's had those special moments. You know, I mentioned that night in Paris and that Rashford penalty winner, arguably the most they're, iconic they're moment. Not trophies, though, are His they? managerial career. No, they're not, but he's had a lot of minor glories. You know, the wins against Manchester City last season, even, even being the first team last season to stop Liverpool winning a game. But they never seem to build from those. You know, they've, they've got the win in Paris in midweek and then they've produced a pretty negative performance at home to Chelsea. Yeah, but he said to me that actually he was pleased because the last time they went to Paris, they came back and they were dreadful for the rest of the season. Whereas, you know, they've come back and they've, they've, they've got a point against Chelsea, albeit not a victory, but they've got a point. Yeah, but they need, to, they need to start stringing a run of wins together. And I know they had that wonderful unbeaten run at the end of last season when I think the fixtures were quite kind to them and they were helped by Leicester falling away and, and Chelsea almost throwing away their top four place as well. But but they need to find a level of consistency, especially at home, away from home. Was it 10 wins yeah, on the bounce? On the bounce. Away from Pogba. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's because of the crowd. Uh, oh. Uh, uh, Chelsea... Well, no, but maybe that, that lack of a crowd that you mentioned in the Stratford there, maybe that is having an impact. But maybe. it's the same for everybody. And uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer needs to find a, a cure to their homesickness. I think yeah. he needs to find the best team. I don't think he knows his best starting team. I really don't. You look at who played against Chelsea, McTominay, Fred, Daniel James. Daniel James, Daniel is, James is bizarre. He's not, not good enough. I don't understand why team. he gets so many chances yeah. is, it because, is it because actually he's quite industrious and he works incredibly hard he'll do his defensive work and he's got the ability he's got the pace to to, to stretch an opposition defence not necessarily fantastic with the ball doesn't really do much with the ball but but ultimately because he's such a threat on the counter with his pace teams panic a little bit and therefore have to be occupied by him yeah, well, I just don't think he, he utilises his pace that, that well either, to be honest. He's a very, very quick lad, but I, I do agree that he works very hard for the team and I think that might be a factor as why he's playing so much. Mm. But you know, when you've got Pogba and, and, and Greenwood, who, who's got immense pace as well, Van der Beek, who is the forgotten man, 45 million, he can't even get near the team. I just don't understand why, why this is... Now. You've got Martial to come back, you've got Cavani coming on as well, and he showed his goal-scoring instincts and he'll be a good player for them. But I just don't think he knows his, his, his best eleven, and he should know that by now, 100%. Uh, Chelsea kept their first clean sheet in the Premier League outside of London 
since the goalless draw at Leicester on the final day of the 2018-19 season. <laughs> Ah, oh dear. Uh, great save by Mendy, by the way. I thought he was uh, excellent. Two good saves. I mean, he did try and kick it in his own net, but that was just for jokes. Uh, right. Liverpool, Sheffield United. Uh, Liverpool winning by two goals to one eventually. The best goal of the day, I think, actually, on Saturday was scored by Mohamed Salah and it was ruled out for offside. And it was a wonderful little touch and smack past the goalkeeper, Aaron Ramsdale. Uh, Sheffield United, we're sort of seeing a, a, a pattern emerging here in which they, they get chances they occasionally score a goal but ultimately they never seem to be able to post any points on the board just the one point so far this season they got themselves ahead in this game maybe a little tad fortuitously VAR spotting an infringement Uh, but you always felt didn't you Alex that Liverpool were going to come back and win it yeah you did Um, and once again Sheffield United have, have been more than a match for their opponents but they've only managed to score one goal it, it, you know it's, it's a big problem um, and, and we've talked about it time and again on this podcast that they're, they're not as defensively resolute as they were last season I think Aaron Ramsdale at the moment is possibly still struggling to fill that Dean Henderson jersey yeah. obviously they've lost Jack O'Connell from the back line and they're not really sticking the ball in the net at the other end so you mentioned they've had a, a, a tricky run of fixtures at the start of the season Chris Wilder will be hoping now that they can take confidence from what was a pretty good performance overall at Anfield and, and actually turn that into some points. Yeah. Who's their next opponent? Man City. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. the next three, Man City, Chelsea, West Ham. That is... You thought you'd had tricky, tricky opponents up until now. Uh, let's uh, talk about Fulham Crystal Palace. Uh, Saturday, three o'clock. Palace walking away with the points, but more impressive than that, Darren Ambrose. They had nine actual shots on a goal. <laughs> you know what I think you said it at the start of the podcast it, it's the most shots they've had in two years under Roy Hodgson which is incredible really if you think of the, the forward what, players as in, in all the shots they've had in two years <laughs> yeah, put together yeah <laughs> um, if you look at the forward players they've got that's outrageous really and prior to that game prior to the Fulham game I think it was one shot on target in three games we mentioned it last week it was uh, it, it was they had one shot on goal in a derby match which was from a penalty which is ludicrous yeah. but how long can he keep going on like this I mean I understand the sort of idea of the setup. the setup is keep it tight low block break at pace they've got good talent on the counter attack in Zahar IU mm-hmm. when he's playing etc etc but you can't do this forever, can you, where you don't have any of the ball and only occasionally shoot at somebody else's goal. It's going to come back to bite you. No, I agree with you. I, I've, I put that, a tweet out about that. How long can you play this low possession game and counter-attack them? And ha- if, if Palace lose Wilfred Zaha, and that is, is publicly known as well, and I've said this before, if they lose him, I think they're going to really struggle. And- they're not going to lose him, are they? Because no one's going to buy him. No, but you know, he could if he gets injured, they're struggling. Hopefully he doesn't. Um, if someone did come and make a bid in, in January and thought that's what they need for a final push potentially Palace are going to really struggle because he is single-handedly winning them games and mm. I've seen a different different side to him he's single-minded he attacks a goal even the, the, the great through ball he played for Riedewald's goal come off the back of him attacking the fullback and hitting a shot and getting the rebound so he's kind of whether he's been affected by all, everyone saying that he doesn't score enough goals but he's really turned that around and he's already got one more than he did last season in, in the first six games. So if they lose him, it'll be a big, big miss. And I agree with you. I don't think they can continue playing this low possession game and, and, and win. 
Um, West Ham United drew 1-1 with Manchester City at lunchtime on Saturday. Um, another, another, wasn't a great game, but West Ham, I thought, played really well, and especially in that first half. Uh, I thought they controlled the, the Manchester City, kept them at bay, created a couple of good opportunities, and then Antonio with a fantastic goal. Second half... Pep Guardiola's changed it up but again not enough to win the game away at West Ham United and and that would be concerning I think to Pep Guardiola Crook Yeah definitely um, it's the worst start that he's made to a season in his entire managerial career uh, not a record of course that he, he would want on his CV but I think I'd apply the same comments to him that I applied to Wolverhampton Wanderers I think you know they, they've lost David Silva um, they, they haven't Huge been able to call upon De Bruyne and Aguero together at all, I think, um, so far this season. And obviously, he's tried to reshape their back line, hoping that Diaz can be the replacement for Vincent Company. The jury, jury, I think, is still out there. So he's thrashing around trying to work out what his best team is. I think the one consolation for him will be that all of the other so-called big six are also yeah. floundering a bit at the start of the season. So while they're going through this transitional phase, they're not actually losing too much ground. I mean, if... If, if, if this was happening last year to Manchester City and Liverpool were all guns blazing, then already you would say they were out the title race. I don't think you can necessarily say that this time around. Um, Friday night, Aston Villa, uh, they were beaten at home. Leeds United were the victors, thanks to Patrick Bamford. Have you been surprised, Darren Ambrose, by the way that Patrick Bamford has flown into this season? Yes, I have. Um, I never thought he'd be able to score as many goals as he has. I do like him as a player. I think he, he's got his, his talents, but the Premier League, he seems to be suited to, to the Premier League and he's come in all guns blazing and the, the hat-trick was fantastic. The, the, the second two goals that he scored, oh, the two and three, were brilliant. The second in particular. Sensational, weren't they? Very, very good. And it seems like he's got the trust of, of the manager, Marcelo Bielsa, and um, he's really repaying him with the faith he's shown in him. And he got some unnecessary and unfair stick last season. He was their top goal scorer and he was still getting that he's not going to be good enough and mm. he's proven a lot of doubters wrong and I'm very, very pleased for him. Um, you missed each other at Crystal Palace, didn't you? You and Patrick Bamford, but he, he played six games in the league at Selhurst Park on loan and scored zero goals. Um, and he has had a bit of an issue in terms of the number of goals to game sort of output apart from when he was at MK Dons back eight years ago and and at Middlesbrough in the championship apart from that he hasn't really scored that many that many goals but all of a sudden he's in the the top league and now he's scored an absolute clutch of goals and I'm pleased for him really because it's it's a long time coming really he's 27 now and you would have thought usually that someone sort of hits their stride before now so so well done to, to him Aston Villa on the other hand considering three goals after such a great start defensively I suppose Dean Smith will be rightly a little bit disappointed with their performance in that game because although the the goals were good from Bamford Crook actually there were a couple of opportunities to, to, to get in and do something about it before it became a real issue. Yeah, and that's been unusual for Aston Villa post-lockdown because we've mentioned on the podcast before they've made a concerted effort to tighten up defensively. So you're right, Dean Smith will be disappointed. I don't think you'll be overly concerned though because it was a very tight game up until that final half an hour uh, when Bamford started to run riot. I still think they probably made a better start to the season than most people, even Smith himself, would have expected. So they'll put that down as a bad day at the office and I'm sure they'll be ready to go again. Just on Bamford, 
Should we now start to be talking about him as a possible candidate for a place in the England squad? Gareth Southgate says he picks players on form. There's nobody in better form than him at the moment. Ooh, what, so who's he going to get in ahead of? Well, that is the conundrum, isn't it? But um, it's just one that I thought I'd throw out there. Yeah, OK. Uh, right, OK. Uh, Darren Ambrose, thank you very much. Great debut. Uh, Alex Crook, we'll see you uh, later in the week. We'll have another podcast for you when you are on your way home on Thursday when we'll be joined by Darren Lewis as we preview all the weekend's footballing action from the Premier League. Please rate and subscribe. Uh, if you aren't doing anything else this week, you could check out the Game Day feed. We've got extra episodes of Upfront for you to download as well. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply.